Eagle-eared listeners of Where There's Smoke might have noticed that we made a slight change to the show's tagline when we started season two. It went from this... Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, sports, and pop culture. To this... Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, pop culture, and experience. This change, removing sports and replacing it with experience, was driven by our realization that as the show has progressed, we use more of our experience and the experiences of others as leaping off points. And since having four things in the tagline felt a bit long, we rationalized that sports are also current events. So it's still in there, and experience gets the billing it deserves. Now I bring this up because this episode is very much an example of experience being the inspiration for the episode. That's right, Brent. Whoa, Nick. <laughs> I, I didn't even see you there. Yeah, I just kind of snuck into the edit. Well, I'm glad you did, because I was just talking about how this episode on asking really came about because you and I have come to a point where we want to ask our audience for support. Yes. Spoiler alert. This episode does end with us asking you for your support and helping to keep this show rolling along. However, from the moment that we started thinking about asking our listeners for help, we felt some real hesitation. Like, we knew we needed help, but we didn't know how to ask. Exactly, Nick. And the fact of the matter is that we need your help, the listener. But we've also been afraid to ask for it. And this leads us to a larger question. What's up with that? I mean, why are we so afraid to ask? What is there to lose? So that's what we set out to do this week. We want to tackle the question of, why are we afraid to ask for help? Not just us asking you, but all of us asking for lots of things. And also, what is the value of asking? Because as you will see, it plays a pretty important role in shaping our lives. Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, pop culture, and experience. This week, we explore the power of asking and unpack why, as adults, we don't ask for help, as well as unpacking what the costs are. Plus, Nick and I ask you, our listeners, to support the show. And of course, WTS digs, some shout-outs, and as always, a surprise or two. My name is Brett Gaida. He's Nick Jaworski. Let's start the show. How do you ask for help? Well, let's be honest. I mean, that's pretty simple. I mean, we know how. You know, we pick up the phone, we write an email, we go talk to someone in person, we make a podcast where we ask for what we need. It's not rocket science. The how is simple. And yet often when there is something we need, we don't ask. And so the more powerful and beneficial question is, why don't we ask? I often say that almost everything we need, an idea, a contact, an opportunity, a break, information, income, almost everything exists within or through our network. That if we all just worked together, asked for what we needed and were willing to give it to others, that we could live very successful lives. I mean, that's the reason the unofficial motto of this show is we're all in this together. And yet we often don't ask for support. We don't work together as much as we could. 
we don't succeed at the level we could. So why not? Well, for many of us, it might have started in school. I mean, the phrase, there are no stupid questions, seems to have been created to try and heal the millions who were laughed at in classrooms or picked on in playgrounds. And as far as asking for support or looking for answers around us, well, looking at someone else's answer in grade school, that's called cheating. As kids, we are taught that the value is in discovering the answers for yourself, learning them, often the hard way. But as we get older, in the business world, the value is in getting it done. And the resources that were previously considered cheating, aka asking the person next to you, is no longer cheating at all. It's called being smart. It's called modeling excellence and using your resources. And while we are talking about resources, I would love to do a study to determine how many millions or billions of dollars are wasted annually to pay people to figure stuff out over days and weeks that they could have learned in 10 minutes if they just asked someone. But we don't want to be a burden. We don't want to waste people's time. We don't want to look stupid or incapable. And sure, I get that. But what's really stupid is simply not asking for help when we need it. And when we don't, we end up wasting a lot more time and money in the long run. I'm through wasting my time and money on things like you. Yeah, your time, but my money. And I can assure you that this is happening at an alarming rate. I know, because for the past five years, I've run an exercise with business teams where I see it firsthand, over and over again, people's unwillingness to do a very simple and powerful act to ask. And when I inquire as to why nobody asks for help, what I hear are the same responses over and over, no matter the team, anywhere in the world. They say things like, well, we don't want to look stupid or like we're not able to figure it out. Well, they hired me because I'm smart, and so I need to show them that I can do it on my own. I don't want to seem weak or incapable. Asking someone else will be cheating. So for starters, if you are a manager, executive, or a business owner, I'll suggest that it is on you to create an environment where people feel safe to ask. In his New York Times article, Why is Asking for Help So Difficult?, author Garrett Keezer explains that in highly competitive business environments, asking for help is seen as a deficiency. He says there is an understandable fear that if you let your guard down, you'll get hurt, or that this information you don't know how to do will be used against you. And so again, in our businesses, in our teams, in our families, in our communities, we must create a safe environment where asking is encouraged, where people know that asking for something doesn't make them look stupid. It makes them look smart because it shows they realize that using the support around them is a strength and not a weakness. And it shows that they are thinking strategically, not selfishly. In her essay, The Art of Not Having to Ask, brain picker creator and curator Maria Popova writes, the hallmark of great parenting is unconditional love. 
in the warm embrace of which the child's needs are met, often without having to even ask. And when she does ask, the parent doesn't shame her for asking. Well, whatever happened to that? I mean, as children, we're taught to ask questions. In fact, questioning why or how is seen as healthy. What changed? Why do we grow up and then feel ashamed to ask for help in doing something or understanding it? Well, there are a number of theories that try to understand these questions. Dr. Carl Albrecht suggests that the shame we just talked about is really rooted in fear, or as he puts it, the fear of ego death. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Most psychologists agree that while there are a plethora of names we give to our specific fears, there are a handful of broader fears that encompass all of them. For example, in his 2012 Psychology Today article, Dr. Albrecht suggests that, quote, there are only five basic fears, out of which almost all of our other so-called fears are manufactured. He names them as fear of loss of autonomy, fear of ego death, fear of separation. No, don't go! Please! Wait! I'm all alone! Come back! Fear of mutilation. You gotta tear me apart, Lisa! And fear of extinction. So for example, your fear of heights is basically your fear of extinction. Your fear of failure, ego death. Fear of rejection, that's the fear of separation, eh, with a little ego death thrown in. Fear of intimacy or commitment, that's the fear of losing one's autonomy. And if we take a closer look at why we don't ask for help, we'll see similar results. I don't want to look stupid or incapable. Humiliation, which is ego death. I'm afraid they'll say no. No, don't go! Please! Rejection, which is fear of separation. I don't want to give up control. Fear of loss of autonomy. And so many of us don't ask because we are afraid. And I think it's safe to say that this rings true for me and Nick in our current situation as well. I mean, wouldn't you agree, Nick, assuming that you're lurking around the edit somewhere? Yeah, I'm here. Much like the Phantom of the Opera Brett, I'm always there. (laughs) Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Right. Well, since we're talking about fear and how it keeps us from asking, I know that we've both had some reservations in asking our listeners for support. Yeah, well, obviously, where there's smoke is and always will be a labor of love. And despite how hectic or crazy it can get, we wouldn't do this show unless we not only loved making it, but loved the chance to get to talk to all of you every week. So at the end of each episode, Brett, what do you say? (laughs) Thanks for listening. We love you. We'll see you next week. Right. So my fear has always been that this audio love letter that we make each week might lose some of its wholesomeness, for lack of a better word. That if we were to add money into this relationship, that our wonderful community might not see our efforts as being entirely... I I don't know what the word is, but there's something about creating a transaction between some of our listeners and ourselves that just gives me pause, you know? Yeah, I mean, I get it. And I think for me, I feel that too. I mean, I don't, I don't want our intentions to be misread. 
know, people can make up so much about why we are asking. So I, I guess for me, it's a bit of a fear of being judged, rejected, not liked, misconnected. And as you said, Nick, our community is so important to us. Now, the thing is, while feeling these fears seems understandable to us and others, it doesn't make it reasonable. Because we know, I mean, you, me, all of us, that if the roles were reversed, we'd likely want to give. We'd at least want to be given the chance to help. I mean, if I knew someone I cared about needed help and didn't ask me because they were afraid, I'd be pissed. What the hell were you thinking? In a Psychology Today article entitled, If You Want More Out of Life, Just Ask, Dr. Thomas Hills comments on how strongly we tend to believe that people don't want to help us. That for some reason, we think others are more resistant to helping than we would be. So with that paradigm, rather than asking for help, we think we need to fool or trick people into helping. But Dr. Hills writes, most people don't want to be fooled into doing things. They just want to be asked. The truth is that not only are people willing to help, but they get a ton out of it. Maybe even more than you. It made you feel really good, right? Yeah, so? Well, it made you feel good, so that makes it selfish. Look, there's no unselfish good deeds, sorry. In her 2009 article, Don't Be Afraid to Ask for Help, psychologist Leslie Silkel wrote, I, as the giver, gain the most. A rush of positive feelings enveloped me, and new energy found its way into my steps. I gained the satisfaction of knowing I helped someone, which gave me the opportunity to feel good about myself. I would have liked to have thanked them for their gift of allowing me the chance to help. Giving and receiving are interdependent. One cannot exist without the other. And it is in asking that we let people support us, which is huge. That is very nicely said, Brett. You know, when we started thinking about asking our community for support, I reached out to Cole Palmer, who is the creator relations manager at Patreon, which is an online platform for people to offer support for artists and creators. And I asked Cole for his best tips around asking people for their donations. And Cole said there is one important thing to state right out of the gate, especially to people who might have hesitations about asking their audience for money. Uh, these people that are out there that love your content or are very uh, engaged with whatever it is that you're doing have the the feeling uh, that you know they really want to support and and help this content to continue to be created. Cole goes on to reframe the idea of asking in in a really beautiful way. And while Cole is talking specifically about his platform, he's really talking about all asking. Patreon lets people pledge and lets people support ongoing creation not and it, it's less of an ask than people think it's more of a let there's people who are out there that want to support this content it's just a matter of you allowing them to do so and nick as we peel back the layers of asking we realize that being willing to ask is as much about being willing to receive and for many that is very difficult it is its own obstacle.
1942, Henry Miller wrote these words in a letter to fellow writer Anais Nin. All right, let me see if I can uh, summon up some Henry Miller. It's so much easier to be on the giving. No, no, not, not, not going to work. Uh, so Henry Miller wrote, it's so much easier to be on the giving side. To receive is much harder. One actually has to be more delicate, if I may say so. One has to help people to be more generous. By receiving from others, by letting them help you, you really aid them to become bigger, more generous, more magnanimous. You do them a service. As I researched and contemplated these ideas, I found the words from a particular story kept coming to mind. A story I first heard almost 15 years ago when attending a personal development workshop. It was shared by the workshop's facilitator, a woman named Kathy Quinlan Perez. Kathy is the lead facilitator for a personal development company called PSI Seminars, and she has over 20 years' experience in personal development. She met me when I was a 30-year-old punk who probably thought I knew a lot more than I did. And in addition to being a mentor to me early in my journey as a speaker and a trainer, she has become a good friend. I called Kathy up to share this story. It happened a couple of decades ago when she was part of a 50-member team playing a 90-day goal-setting game. Each week, a different person was assigned to lead the team. And this event took place during the week when it was her turn to be the leader. As she saw it, it was her job to make sure that the team won that week, that they did well. And Kathy, being a highly competitive person at the time, put that entire responsibility on her back. There was no way that she, um, I mean, <laughs> they'd lose. About midway through the week, the person running the program, Leslie, called her at her office. Hey, Leslie, how are you? And... She started asking me how things were going and um, how is it being the team leader. And I said, oh, my gosh, it's great. And everybody's on track. You know, everybody's doing great. And I said, you know, she goes, so you're supporting everybody. And I said, oh, absolutely, Leslie. Of course I'm supporting them. You know, but really I'm supporting them so that they do what they're supposed to do so I look good as the leader. And so, I mean, I cared about them, but the truth is, is that I just wanted, I really wanted to look good. And... So she said, okay, well, that's great. And I said, yeah, it's really fun. It's going great. She said, so how are you doing your goals? I'm like, I'm totally on top of it. And she said, so are people supporting you? And I said, well, what do you mean? I don't really need their support. I'm supporting them. And she said, oh, okay. So you're just doing it by yourself. I said, well, yeah, I got to get it done. If it's going to get done, I got to do it. And she said a line to me that will forever be implanted on my brain and that was, you know, Kathy, the biggest taker of all is someone who is unwilling to receive. And so I said, oh, wow, thanks for the phone call. You're very welcome. I remember hanging up the phone, sitting in my office, the doors closed, and I just burst into tears. And I started thinking about, wow, I, no wonder I'm so exhausted, first of all, because I'm controlling everybody and what they do. And I'm working overtime to make sure everything gets done. And I'm not letting anyone support me. The biggest taker of all is someone who is unwilling to receive. Let that sink in for a moment. 
Dr. John Amadeo is a marriage family therapist and the author of the book, Dancing with Fire, A Mindful Way to Loving Relationships. In a 2014 article for World of Psychology, he touches on the reason why receiving is so much harder than giving for many people. A lot of them overlap with the emotions and hesitations we just heard in Kathy's story. Number one, we give as a defense against intimacy. Dr. Amadeo says prioritizing giving over receiving may be a convenient way to keep people distant and our hearts defended. Two, we don't want to let go of control. Three, we fear there are strings attached, especially if, when we grew up, we only received compliments when we accomplished something, perhaps in sports or good grades. As Dr. Amadeo elaborates, if we sense that we weren't being accepted for who we are, but rather for our achievements and accomplishments, we may not feel safe to receive. And four, some simply believe it is selfish to ask for something. Many people were raised to be self-effacing and not attract too much attention to themselves. And many of us were told that to be a good person, you must suffer and have less. As a result of this conditioning, we might feel shame to ask or to receive. But again, giving and receiving are interdependent. You can't separate them. They only exist as a pair, right? I mean, if there was no one around to accept the gifts or the help offered, then there would be no way to give it. And so we can't live in a world where people support and give unless we also live in a world where we ask and receive. Brene Brown, a WTS favorite, appeared on Oprah's Life Class in 2013. The topic was vulnerability and daring greatly. To make her point, she asked the audience, How many of you think you want to be more vulnerable and dare greatly? Almost every hand went up. She followed it up with, how many of you are com comfortable asking for help? And a few scattered hands go up. And then she said something that has stuck with me for quite some time. Okay, so let me, tell you, let me just ruin this for you. When you cannot ask for help without self-judgment, you are never really offering help without judgment. Basically, if you don't let yourself receive, you are never really giving. If you see asking for help as a sign of weakness, then anybody that you help, well, you see them as weak. And when you do help them, you are just doing it to feed some need within yourself to feel better about you. So rather than giving and receiving being a two-way street where everybody benefits, the act turns into a one-way street. And it's heading toward you, not them. Drunk. You're going the wrong way! What? You're going the wrong way! He says we're going the wrong way! Oh, We've talked in the past about vulnerability, success, caring, connection, community. What if none of that is possible at a deep and satisfying level unless you are willing to ask and receive? And from the sound of it, a few others seem to agree with that idea. From Cole Palmer at Patreon. You allowing them to 
directly support you really creates a strong connection. To Brene Brown, when you extract worthiness for helping people, that's judgment. When you don't extract worthiness and you think, I'm just helping you because one day I'm gonna need help, that's connection, that's vulnerability. To Kathy Quinlan Perez. Just open up this whole big, whole nother door in terms of relationships and intimacy and vulnerability and connection and care. So it was probably one of the most pivotal uh, conversations I've ever had in my life that completely shifted how I gave to people and how I actually let people give to me. When giving and receiving, you are involved in a dynamic that keeps everything moving and everyone growing. As Maria Popova put in her essay, I deeply believe and actively partake in both the yin and the yang of that vitalizing osmosis of giving and receiving that keeps today's creative economy alive. And it keeps all the economies alive, no matter the place, no matter the currency. And not just money, but all kinds of currency, love, energy, kindness, growth, joy, and anything else you can think of. And the only thing that can grind that dynamic to a halt is if you don't ask. So don't kill the ride for everyone. Get out there, ask for what you want, and let people support you. Remember, we're all in this together. And the media asked, Amanda, the music business is tanking and you encourage piracy. How did you make all these people pay for music? And the real answer is, I didn't make them. I asked them. And through the very act of asking people, I'd connected with them. And when you connect with them, people want to help you. It's kind of counterintuitive for a lot of artists. They don't want to ask for things. But it's not, it's not easy. It's not easy to ask. And a lot of artists have a problem with this. Asking makes you vulnerable. So that was musician Amanda Palmer in her TED Talk, The Art of Asking, which later also became the title of her best-selling book. And in 2012, she launched what became the biggest music crowdfunding project to date. And earlier this year, she launched her own Patreon page. And in many ways, she's been at the forefront of this movement to create direct intimacy and connection between artists and fans. And so here we are, Nick. <laughs> you know, podcasts are free, so how will we make people pay for it? And, you know, the answer is we absolutely won't. We are just asking you for your support. We've set up a page on Patreon. This is an avenue for you to help. You know, if you know you're interested in doing that, this would be our preferred method. Just simply go to supportwts.com. It'll take you directly to Where There Smokes Patreon page. Now, that said, we also wanted to share a little bit about where we're at and why we're asking for those who might be interested in a little more details. 
Yeah, I mean, for those people who've been paying attention, we've been doing this since January of 2015 when I drove halfway across the country and moved into Brett's <laughs> spare room in San Francisco, having never met. No. And since that point, we've produced over 35 episodes of Where There's Smoke, and it's a weekly process that we love to undertake. It's fast-paced, it's rewarding, it's terrifying, it's challenging, it's all in all pretty great. And we've been featured by the AV Club, iTunes, Pocket Cast, The Timber. Sorry, The Timber. I messed it up, Brett. That's uh, we're I'm, not sure, though. We're not actually sure. That's true. We're not sure. In music, that would be Timber, but whatever. <laughs> so we've been so humbled and honored to get to spend each and every Tuesday with you, and we look forward to continuing to do so. We do, Nick. And though I will say, on our Patreon page, you wrote, at the moment, we found a way to balance our professional lives with this passion project. I, well, you know. <laughs> I appreciated your confidence, though. And I think in some ways we have, right? I mean, we've made 35 shows, right? 36. 36. But at the same time, like, the toll it takes on us some weeks is heavy, you know, on our health, our families, our sanity. And, you know, even last week, the reason there wasn't a show is because it just all caught up with us. And, you know, we're really committed to quality. We won't put out anything less than we believe our audience has come to expect from us and that we really expect from us. Yeah, so we're not looking to become rich, Brett. That's not what we're trying to do. <laughs> Our goal isn't to just rake in money, become eccentric billionaires, and then start a colony on the moon. Although, now that I say that... Sounds that, pretty cool. Yeah, it does sound pretty cool. But instead, we just want to be in a healthy position to prioritize where there's smoke and continue to put our heart and soul into this project. So we're both busy guys, and frankly, we'd much rather work on this show than some of the other things that the world throws at us. So that's why we're asking for your help. Exactly. I mean, this is really, it's not about money, it's about time. You know, Nick and I both need the ability to say no to other things right. so we can keep saying yes to where there's smoke. But the reality is we both live in a world where we need a certain amount of money to live, you know, just like all of you, food, water, shelter, rent, you know, and so... It's about fair exchange. It's about value, maybe. You know, what is the value of where there's smoke to you? You know, maybe it's $5 a month, 20 50 100 Maybe it's priceless, in which case, you know, what can you afford to give in the realities of your current situation? And, and if it's $0, then that is that. You know, we're not expecting anything. We're, we're just asking. Which is what we tried to figure out how to do this whole episode. <laughs> And right, it's about prioritizing the show and being able to say no to all the things that we would have to do to support ourselves. So we right. can just open up enough space to say yes to this show. So if you're going to say yes to supporting us, go to www.supportwts.com. And there at that website on Patreon, you have the opportunity to join the official Where There's Smoke Explorers Club. What? I know. <laughs> So we're, while we are super appreciative of any level of support you can give, and actually you can just write in any number you want from one to five, 20 to six bajillion. However, if you put, if you pledge 20 or more dollars a month, you can become a member of the official WTS Explorers Club. We will email you about show ideas, provide the occasional sneak peek into what we're working on and offer shout outs to various members of the club in the show. Additionally, you'll get to share your opinions on some sweet swag we've got coming in 2016. Swag! And I just want yeah. to say, Nick, I mean, if you do actually decide to write in six bajillion, I, I will I will come be your personal slave. Whoa. <laughs> wow. All right. So that's it, guys. Go to supportwts.com. Uh, we love you. We appreciate you. And thank you so much for your support. Thanks.
right, welcome to everybody's favorite segment, of course. And of course, I'm talking about WTS Digs. Woo! This is the segment where each week we, we meaning Brett and I, we talk about the things that we're loving, that are inspiring us, that are new, that are fresh, that are cool, uh, and that we'd like you to know about. So with all that in mind, Brett, real quick, uh, what are you digging this week? All right, so my dig this week is kind of unique, Nick. It's actually an experience or a practice. I don't know what you'd call it, but I discovered this about four years ago. I was walking through the airport. I love Christmas music. I think you know this. I have thousands I love of Christmas too. songs. Um, the audience might not realize this. So during Christmas, I'm always putting, you know, I used to be putting Christmas songs on my iPad. And a few years ago, I was getting off a plane and I'm listening to Christmas music and I'm walking through the airport and there's just insanity going on. You know how airports are, right? Just people yes. rallying, lining up, pushing people out. And I've got this music in my ear and suddenly I felt like I was in a movie, right? Like that juxtaposition you see in movies where like there's all this craziness going on, but there's this like happy music playing. And I was like, this is so cool. And so it became this practice. I only do it in December because I, I don't listen to Christmas music all year long as much as I love it. But I love to like walk around, especially airports or like malls or like busy places, even the street, it actually works really cool. And just listen to Christmas music on headphones because what I find <laughs> is you get this really kind of trippy experience where you start to feel like you're in a movie and you there's just this juxtaposition between what's going on around you and what's going in your ears, especially if you like focus on like really happy Christmas songs, not like blue Christmas, right? So, you know what's so uh, funny, Brett, is that I, you've, you mentioned this to me like when we first met. <laughs> Like, this is like a thing that you, I mean, this is a real thing that you love. This so. is a real thing that I love to do. I just did it for the first time this year, last week, when I was in the airport on Friday, and it was awesome. It was amazing. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. So, so I suggest everyone out there, put some Christmas music in your headphones and go walk around some crazy places. So, Nick, what about you? What are you digging this week? Well, I'm uh, doing something also a little bit different. It's actually, I am encouraging people to support two crowdfunding campaigns. I don't know if I'm just trying to look like I'm really gracious or not, <laughs> but I have been sort of really obsessed with two campaigns that are happening right now. One of them is for a game company called Double Fine Productions, which eagle-eared listeners of this show may remember that I recommended a documentary back in one of our first digs called Double Fine Adventure about the creation of a video game and how crazy and cool that was. Well, they've got a new game they're trying to crowdfund. It's called Psychonauts 2, based off of a great game called Psychonauts from the mid-2000s about a kid who has psychic abilities who runs away to a camp to become a psychic spy. It's it's really fun and it's, and, uh, it's just really creative. So you can find that thing on Facebook Big.co. If you know the game, you should just definitely support it. And secondly, Brett, I know we've talked about this. I am super excited because an old favorite is coming back on Kickstarter. In the not too distant future, next Sunday, AD, there was a guy yes, Mystery Science Theater 3000 is coming back for at least six episodes. And if you've seen it, you know exactly what MST3K is. And if you haven't, basically it's a dude and two robots making fun of movies. And they don't improvise the the jokes. They're actually like super poured over and usually go over my head. There are annotated episodes on YouTube, which are like, oh my God, that's so clever. So it's an old show that I used to watch with my brother, Matt. And it just reminds me of those days. It's like watching an old friend. And this time it's gonna have Jonah Ray, Felicia Day, Patton Oswalt, it's gonna be great. So go to bringbackmst3k.com to find out more. 
So awesome. that's what I'm digging. And I, I, I loved watching Mystery Science Theater. And I had a particular soft spot for it because I grew up watching Boo movies. When I was a kid, I used to love staying up late and watching Godzilla movies. Years and years ago, like when I was in high school, they had something called the Bee Movie Festival. Actually, it was called the Bee Festival in Toronto. That was amazing. I, I remember uh, seeing the 5,000 fingers of Dr. T and just being blown away. Um, and so when Mystery Science Theater came out, I loved it because it was all those movies that you know I loved watching when I was a kid, but now basically sitting around and, and just uh, you know taking the piss out of them, which was awesome. <laughs> so uh, big fan, Nick. So that's a great, great recommendation. And very in the theme of today's show, by the way. That's right. Very in the theme. I like that. So as always, we want to hear what you're digging. So let us know. Hit us up on Facebook, on Twitter, uh, at Explore WTS. Let us know what you're digging because we always like finding new things. We appreciate you. Thanks. I was gearing up for that thing. I know. I was. I, I could feel it, Revit. Are you ready? Are you sure? Let's do some shout-outs, some Twitter love this week, at Ken Jeffrey, Tara Hunt, Jamie Edelman, who did some backtracking to our vulnerability episode and loved it, Rob Dyson, Sandy Pell, and Jason Foss, who called us his new favorite podcast. Where There's Smoke is on Twitter, at ExploreWTS. You can also find Nick and I there, at Podcast Monster, and at Brett Guida. And join the Facebook page for Where There's Smoke. iTunes reviews. Muntasir Saeed wrote, the best podcast out right now. Period. Where there's smoke is worthy of the title, Lifelong Companion. Worth listening to every single episode. Truly excellent stuff here, said M. Miller81984. Thank you guys for helping to uncover the secrets of life. Keep up the good work from loyal listener Jimmy. And Benjamin Pearson in Australia said, Can't stop listening. Awesome podcast. And he digs the theme song. So props to Des McKinney for writing and recording it and Nick Jaworski for the season two remix. Hey, I crushed it on the podcast game show this week with Brandon Bayard. Check it out on iTunes and call me if you need a fourth for your pub trivia team. Thanks to Product Hunt for featuring our quality episode and the timber or the timbre, we feel like it could go either way based on their logo, for giving us a weekly honorable mention for our music and memory episode. We love your work and it was a true honor to be featured. Hey, Nick, uh, what other musical artists were featured in this week's show? This week on the show, we had Kevin Silas and Black Hill, Blue Dot Sessions, Lee Rosevere, Poddington Bear, Jazar, Alex Fitch, Kai Engel, James Joshua Otto, and our boy, Kevin McLeod. Where There's Smoke is asked, received, given, supported, crafted, written, recorded, edited, produced, and delivered by Brett Guida and Nick Jaworski. If you're interested in having Brett speak, train, or coach at an event or within an organization, send an email to brett at wheretheresmoke.co. That's with two Ts. And Nick's company, Podcast Monster, they'll make your podcast sound awesome. Go to podcastmonster.com or send him an email, nick at wheretheresmoke.co. To get on our newsletter and stay in the loop on all things where there's smoke, join our mailing list on your phone, text the word SMOKE to 66866, or go to our website, wheretheresmoke.co. And while you're at our website, you can leave us a voicemail, tell us what you think of the show, make suggestions for future episodes, or hey, just say hi. Now, as we close out this episode, I will share one more bit of wisdom once shared with me. No ASCII, no Getty. So make it count. So do you want to go out sometime? Out like go out or hang out or just do something? Like a date. Like a date date or like a date? Both, I guess. Yeah, sure, maybe. I don't know. Yes, no. Here's the first three digits of my phone number. Email me. Thanks for listening. We love you. We'll see you next week.
You guys. <laughs> are you still there? Nick and I talk about you guys a lot. You're the ones who actually make it all the way to the end of the show. You guys are the super fans. The super fans. And since you made it all the way to the end, that means you're getting more show than everybody else. So you should totally, like, donate a little more money. <laughs> we didn't plan this ahead of time. <laughs> but it makes sense because you're getting, like, more value than everybody else. Not to mention all the funny things we do at the end of the show that you've all heard. <laughs> and real quick, next time that we're on Twitter, we'll, like, wink. Like, we'll put a winky emoticon up. Oh, and that'll be our little key, a little trigger to each other. Yes. Okay, don't tell anyone we had this conversation. Don't tell anybody. All right. Shh. We'll see you later. Okay, bye.